0: All right, West Side, Psalm 128. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be a paperback Bible right there in front of you in that pew back. And if you don't own one, that's our gift to you this morning. I want you to take that and run with it. Open it up, fall in love with Christ in those pages. When you get to Psalm 128, look up at me and say, Jesus, all right. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text... I will say this is the word of the Lord and you can respond with thanks be to God. Psalm 128, a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're glad that you're here. We're in the
1: series summer playlist. I'm not going to spend a lot of time reviewing. If it's your first time here, you can go to our website and check those out. The reason why we're studying this is in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is sort of like God's inspired hymn book, if you will. The people of Israel sang these Psalms. But within the book of Psalms, there is a devoted little section called the Psalm of Ascents. And the people of Israel would travel wherever they were to Jerusalem, where God's temple was, about three times a year. And on their way, they would sing these songs, which is why it's called sort of summer playlist. And we've sort of, you know, done the application and said summertime's about vacation, about journeys. Everybody's got a road trip playlist, if you will. And the people of Israel sang these psalms that represented sort of their journey and pilgrimage to meet with God. And and we said it's very similar as well in our relationship with Christ. That we start at a certain point, and this life is a journey, and it is a process. Thank goodness that it's a process, and God is all about progress, not perfection. Amen, right? Amen? How do I need to preach today? Okay, you need to help me out, all right? And so we're so thankful that it's about progress, not perfection. But these psalms symbolized... Each stage in that journey. And as we come to Psalm 128, most scholars agree that they have probably reached the temple at this point, okay? Unless they did the GPS thing and said, quicker route available, right? Because it's never quicker, right? And so they probably reached the temple. And most scholars believe in understanding Jewish history that this Psalm 128 is the first psalm that the priest would say out loud to the people As they got there. And what's so interesting about it is when you look at Psalm 127 that we learned last week and Psalm 128, they're very similar. Last week we talked about that God's people are dependent upon God's providence. We learned a big word last week in church. And we said that providence is God's personal, powerful, and continual care. That God doesn't just initiate the journey, God doesn't just say, hey, you're far away, you need to come close. But God also initiates the journey, sustains us in the journey, and meets us in the journey. And I don't know about you, but what we've learned in this series is in our journey, in our relationship with Christ, um, it's a lot more about Jesus than it is about us. Amen? And we see God's providence and His care and all of that. But Psalm 128 sort of expands a little bit more that providence and what it looks like in our life. And and it talks about God's blessing, if you will. And, and maybe this will be helpful. A couple of years ago, well, a little bit longer than a couple years, 2006, the American Society of Landscape Architects. Could you imagine that on a business card, right? Okay. Um, they were doing some surveys across the U.S., particularly with public schools. And they were looking at how to safeguard playgrounds, make them um, broader and bigger so the kids could get more exercise, but at the same time, make them safer. And they did a bunch of experiments, and they put about 50 to 60 kids in the first scenario in a playground that didn't have any fences or really any borders in it at all. And what they found out is, is the kids were very shy. They were very fearful, and most of them did not explore on the playground. They didn't sort of have fun and slide down the slide and jump out of the swing and all of that. You're not supposed to jump out of the swing, okay, right, and do all of that fun stuff. They were just kind of stayed at the center, and you can look this research up. It's very interesting. Then in the second scenario, the same kid's different playground, they put a border and a fence up. And what they realized is the kids explored, ran around, were much more physically active, and seemed to be like they enjoyed the playground more knowing where their safeguards were. And we have many public school teachers and teachers who are here at Westside, and many of you would probably know that, that kids actually function better when they know sort of where their boundaries are versus just total and complete chaos, right? Right? And what's interesting, when we look at Psalm 128, it is about God's blessings, but it's about God's blessings found in the way that God has designed it. And and so, really, here's the thesis today that I want us to understand life is better when we live within the boundaries of God's blessings. Life's better. We get to enjoy that more. We, we don't have to be fearful about how close to the line am I in this, that, and the other. That Psalm 128, if you look at the text, in six verses, the word blessed is used four times. All right, okay? I went to public school and the butter slides off my biscuit all the time, okay? But if I'm reading the Bible and there's six verses and one word is repeated four times, that's probably the thrust of the text, Right? But when you look closer, it talks about walking in his ways, fearing the Lord. And so it's this idea that, that yes, and now imagine, you've traveled this long journey. You arrived at the temple. This is it. And the priest blesses you and says, blessings from God. You've made the journey. You've obeyed his ways, and you have come here, and now life is better because you've lived within the boundaries of God's blessings. You know, I think if there's anything that's probably as anti-2019, it's, it's the word boundaries or submission, right? And, and maybe you grew up with an understanding of the Bible because there's really actually only two ways that you can look at God's boundaries. They're either burdens or they're blessings. And so when you look at the Bible, you see a list of rules, um, don't do this, don't do that, don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do, right? All of that good stuff. Hard if you're from Arkansas, but let us continue, okay? And so it's always like, man, God does not want me to go here. God does not want me to do this. And and, and also have to say, I'm, I'm not a fan of any type of theology, which means study of God, um, that starts with man. I'm not a fan of that because that's not biblical. So, so, so if you think the gospel starts with You're a sinner. That's that's not where the Bible starts. Now, that's a part of the gospel. Yes, that we are broken, sinful human beings. But listen, the Bible starts with the goodness of God. So any theology that starts with total sinfulness or this, that, or the other is a wrong understanding, and it will always lead to looking at God's boundaries as a burden. But rather, when we look at the Scriptures... We see that it's all about the goodness of God and His blessing upon creation. And I studied this this week, and this was profound to me. In Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of Genesis, of of, of the Bible, when God is just made everything, the first thing that He does with His creation, and God blessed them blessed them, gave his approval, his love, his care, all of this. This is good this way. And then I found this out. Revelation chapter 1, the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible, Revelation says this. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take heart to what is written because the time is near. Listen, it is no mistake that the very first chapter of the Bible starts with God's blessing and the very last book of the Bible starts with God's blessing. So today, I think many of us are going to have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind by God's word because you've always thought that the way that God has designed things has been a burden and it grades against us. And yes, it does. Because our natural inclination is not to go, oh, yes, Lord, I will follow you in all of your ways. Oh, right? It is. I don't want to do that. I'm mad at them. Right? I don't want to do this. I don't want to go there. Why this? Why that? And in reality, when we see all through the scriptures, life is better when we live within those boundaries of God's blessings. But in Psalm 128, there's sort of a process. There's there's a stair-step process that we're going to walk through to evaluate, how do I view God's boundaries? Do I view them as, as a burden or do I view them as a blessing? And so the first thing that we see within the text is this. Blessings start with fearing God. That's a great one for point number one, right? It has the word fear God in it. I love it. Let's go. All right. Psalm 128, verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. You're like, wow, he gets paid to do that? It just says it right there in verse 1, right? It's crazy. Crazy concept. What's interesting is this phrase fear of the Lord or fear God appears about 300 times in the scriptures. And I got to be honest with you, it's something that in, in my walk with Jesus that I've always struggled with because God's always like, fear not. And then God's like, fear me. And I'm like, what? You know, I don't understand what's going on here. and And, and I've always wrestled with this. And and, man, like I just got to apologize on behalf of a lot of other preachers and Sunday school teachers because here's what we've tried to do with the fear of God. We've tried to polish it and be like, well, it doesn't mean afraid. It means reverence and respect. That's what it means. Uh, yeah, kind of, but people also drop dead when they see the resurrected Christ <laughs> and they're like, don't kill me. Oh my goodness, right? Like Isaiah goes to church in Isaiah chapter six, right? And he actually encounters God. Crazy concept, right? And when he sees the magnificent God seated upon the throne, he drops down and says, woe is me for I'm a man with unclean lips. And, And it's this understanding of Mo- A.W. Tozer was, was a theologian. He said, the most important thought that anyone has is their first thoughts about God. That's the most important thought and process that a human being can have. Now, here's what's difficult for us. We're human beings. So when we talk about fearing the Lord, we're talking about a God that we don't physically see with our eyes, that we also know holds a position of authority, Now, any psychologist and any Bible teacher that's worth their salt will say, you cannot separate your experiences in life, mostly as a child, from birth to age seven, apart from your view and picture of God. That when we relate to who God is in his position and his authority, the only thing that we as human beings have to go back to is understanding other positions of authority that have happened in our life. And so what we do is, rather than disassemble those things and then let the scriptures paint our view of God, we project our life experiences upon to God. And there's really three primary ways that, that you can view God when it comes to this. And parents, please listen to this today. This is massively important for us. Because our job as parents is to give spankings and hugs, right? Yeah, I'm just, Okay, I'll get to that in a minute. But it is to be a reflection of that position of authority that God has instituted. And if the very first step of blessing and living within those boundaries is understanding and fearing the Lord... It is our job as parents to institute that and initiate that in our children. But really, the first of the three ways that you can view God is abusive. I've asked for the Lord's mercy and grace today because I'm going somewhere that you probably don't want me to go. But listen, I don't want to be a church that just skirts around stuff. I want to be a church that really takes the Bible and really lays bare our heart and says, This area hurts. And if Jesus really does heal everything, then this is a major area. And many of you grew up with an understanding of a position of authority as only being abusive. I'm so sorry those things happened to you. And and, and maybe it wasn't just physical abuse, but maybe it was emotional abuse, and there was manipulation, and there was guilt, and there was shame. So there's really two common responses if you grew up in a home like that. The first one is absolute rebellion. So anytime you encounter a position of authority, your initial reaction is to buck up against that, right? That's why, you know, teachers, pastors, um, police officers, anybody that holds a position of authority, oftentimes you get the brunt end of how someone views that position. So no matter what someone does in that position, the initial reaction is to resist and to rebel against that. Or the second reaction is to sort of just cave and to just be hurt And to just absorb that, and then that train of thought leads you to think that that you're the problem. That something's wrong with you, that you're not lovable. You see, I think a lot of people, when they view God, they view God as like an angry kid with a magnifying glass burning ants. Like, ha-ha, they went out of the boundaries today. Holy Spirit, let's go, right? Like Thanos, ready to just snap his fingers on all of his creation. But the reality is, is that that's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures don't teach this idea of of an abusive God. Now we see a passionate God, very passionate about his creation. So there's this idea of, of abusive, but then the opposite, the pendulum swings the other way, is this, permissive. So now abusive is, there are so many borders and boundaries that you can't breathe, and that if you step out of those, it is not love and mercy that beckons you back, but it is total condemnation, judgment, and wrath. But then the second thing is just permissive. Like, and in 2019, I think people oftentimes say that this is probably more the picture of God when you ask them about God. Because like Jesus is a lost member of the Beach Boys. I mean, blonde hair, blue eyed, like hemp sandals, just peace, love, right? I mean... It's just this concept that that Jesus blesses whatever I do because my happiness is absolutely ultimate. And if anything contradicts or challenges my idea of happiness, then that can't be love. That is hate and that is bad. And I have to condemn that and avoid that. But the reality is, is maybe many of us grew up in a home where there just literally was no boundaries at all. And if you talk to any public school teacher or somebody who has been trained in child psychology, they can be in a room for five minutes and know a child that has no boundaries. And I even realized this in student ministry. Like, we would have these young kids come in, youth group, right? Just young bulls, man, just fresh blood, right? And they're always wanting to challenge and do all of that. And what you do is you get that great, like, I had a great youth worker, man. I called him my bulldog, right? And so it was always like, go get him, sick him, right? And so this guy would go around and go, "Uh uh-uh, you know, that's not happening here. And then lo and behold, those kids felt safer. We found that they opened up. In a weird way, they almost beg for a boundary. And the way that they do it is by just wiling out and going nuts, right? And I think that's a great picture of our society. There are no boundaries whatsoever. But then when chaos ensues, we try to blame, and it's this, and it's that, and it's the Democrats, and it's the Republicans, and it's this, and the problem is this, and all of that. But the thing is, is that life is actually better when we live within these boundaries, but that is contingent upon how we view God. And the last way, I think the biblical way, is you can view God as massive. Not not abusive, not passive. What I mean by massive is this. I just want to ask you a question today. Just be honest with me. You don't have to answer right away. Just maybe, you know, just write it down and think about it this week. What if? What if God is bigger and better than you thought? What if He's he's bigger, has a better plan? and is just all around so much more than what our little finite minds could imagine. You see, I think that's the proper understanding of the fear of God. And it's not just this Old Testament concept of fear of the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, the writer says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so when we walk through Ecclesiastes, this was our definition of the fear of God. A healthy fear of God is found in focusing on the beauty and majesty of God. We just sang it. The beauty and majesty of God. And so it's this idea of, we talk about these moments when we feel small, right? And so when you stand at the base of the Rocky Mountains or you're in a room and a new baby's just been born and you're like, whoa. I had that moment when we were on vacation as a family. The last day that we were there in Panama City Beach, Hurricane Harvey was coming in. And so we went out and we were swimming that morning, and when we walked outside, the waves were about four to five feet high. And it was like, yes, right? It's just the best time. It was just so much fun to get out there and swim and do all this. Then they did this thing called double red flags, right? Wah, wah, right? And then the lifeguard came running up on his four-wheeler like Paul Blart the mall cop, right? Right? Sir, we're closing down the beach today, double red flag, you have to obey it, all this stuff. And the whole time that he's talking to me, I'm like, yeah, I'm not obeying those double red flags. I'm just not. And then he goes further down the beach, and then I get closer to the water, the further down that he goes, kind of mess around, and then I realize, okay, this is, you know, serious. And then we go up to the home, and then I see these other people swimming out there in the water. And then I see the lifeguard right there, so... I went down and was like, what's up, bro? Like, you made me get out of the water, and like, they're swimming out there. And he goes, you know, they're considered professional athletes because they have professional gear and all this stuff. And so I just, listen, pray for your preacher. I got problems, okay? All right? All right? And so I just asked him, right, this young, strikingly handsome lifeguard, right? And I was like, I could probably still take you, but probably not, okay? I was like, what do I do? What, What will you do if I go in there the double red flags, and this dude, this like 19-year-old kid, looked me in the eye and he said, uh, I, "I won't go in and get you." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, right?" He said, "Double red." He said, "If you're a Navy SEAL, you have to obey the double red flag." And so I kind of kicked sand, walking back to you know. And I realized when we were out there swimming and that riptide, when that wave would crash, the day that we left, the waves were like at 10 feet and they were going to rise to 16 feet at one point. And when the waves would crash and that riptide would suck back into the wave, when the waves were just four feet, I had to get down and just brace myself. And it took everything in me not for the wave to go back in. The reason why there was a double red flag and boundaries is because that's an environment that you can't control. Now think about this. If I couldn't control those waves, what would make me think I can control the God that made them? See, this is the fear of God. His goodness, His kindness, His beauty, and His majesty, but this is God, and I am not. And we see this in Jesus' ministry. One of the main things that was so incredible is in Mark's gospel when the storm arose and in Mark 4 it says this, and they were filled with great fear. Phobos is the word where we get the word phobia. It was not like, wow, kids, let's respect Jesus. He just calmed the storm. Bow your heads and close your eyes and respect the Lord, right? They were like, um, we need to get out of the boat, because why? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? you got to understand, in Jewish understanding, the sea was scary. It was uncontrollable. So for the fact for Jesus to speak peace, be still, and the sea that was raging and foaming become like glass, made the disciples say, Wow. Listen, here's all I'm asking. When we view God, how do you view Him? Is it flippant? Listen to the language that we use. But in order for life to be better, we have to live within the boundaries of God's blessing. And to understand that the blessings are not a burden, but a blessing, it starts with fearing God. The second thing is this. Blessings continue with following God's ways. Look at it, verse 1, the second half of the verse. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Now listen, the order that this comes in is massively important. Because a lot of times our life and our Christian walk looks like this. Give my life to Christ, study, read the Bible, pray a little bit still deal with temptation, give in to temptation and struggle with those things, confess it a little bit but not enough because if I really say what I'm struggling with, people will think I'm a weirdo, no one will be my friends, kind of repent a little bit, struggle with the temptation, give in to the temptation, kind of confess it and do it. And what you're focused on so much is following the ways. But it goes right back to the first understanding. You continue in following God's ways When you have, here's the sentence, right living for God, a right view of God results in right living for God. So in order to live rightly for God, we must view God correctly. That's the understanding behind this. And it's so interesting, right, to look at how it is to follow in God's ways. I think a lot of times what we do in church is we sort of like mystify those things, right? you know and and it's good and and I'm so thankful that people sometimes are like man we just need to pray about this we need to do these things and just ask the lord but sometimes we take that stuff like way too far like I don't know lord should I buy a Chevy or a Ford I don't know built Ford tough you know I just I'm praying about it right, All right you know we you're know, praying about this I'm really praying about whether I should get involved and serve just praying about whether I should offer forgiveness or just pray. Listen, this might be a controversial statement. There's some things you ain't even got to pray about. at all, whatsoever. Because when we open up God's words, listen, here's the sentence: "The ways of God are revealed in the words of God." <laughs> That's it. But here's also what you think, that if you grew up with sort of a legalistic understanding and loving them boundaries, man, because when I'm, I know where the boundary's at, so I can not really cross, but I can get close, but boy, I can also judge other people who cross those boundaries, and I'm as close to the boundary line as possible, but they crossed over it, God loves me more, he hates them. And so it's this idea that, and here's what we think obedience looks like. I think we think obedience looks like coloring by numbers. You ever done this before, Right? You can have your very own Picasso or something like that. And you've just got this little cheat sheet. And number one is blue. Number three is red. I might become an art major. I don't know, right? And then we get done with it. We step back and we're like, look at this coloring by numbers, right? And listen, we think that when we read God's word and attempt to live God's way, we think our life is going to result like this. Some nice little thing that we hang on the mantle and, okay, my spouse, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Be submissive to my husband, just like the scripture says. Forgive one another as God's forgiven you in Christ. Awesome. You have the conversation, and that sucker spirals out of control, right? Right? You're like, I just I was gonna offer forgiveness and have the car. Listen, our life doesn't look like this as much as our life looks like this when it comes to it, right? <laughs> That's what obedience looks like in the Christian life, man. That is Santa Claus who lost a paintball fight. I mean, like. And and the good thing is, is God's grace, right? But imagine. Imagine the people of Israel traveling and they're trying to follow God's way. But do you know what I think was the undergird of the obedience? And it's the progression that I see in the text. It wasn't so much what they were doing or even where they were going. Remember, they're traveling to Jerusalem. Listen, the only way that they could do what they were doing is because when they got there, they knew who they were meeting. And that's what's worth it. That's what's so worth it. It's not just obeying God so then I can get the benefits that God offers in His blessings, but obeying God simply for who He is. It starts with a fear, a healthy fear of God. Then this blessed life, it continues with following in the ways of God. But then the third thing that I see is this. The blessings of God bear the fruits of God. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. All of you type A personalities that love following the rules and on the outside, man, you this, that, you're nailing it and all of this and then Jesus would speak into your life and say, and on the inside, you are like a whitewashed tomb. Outside, it is nice and it is clean, but there is a dead body inside. And what this psalm says is is there's a result that happens. And look at verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. <laughs> I love like the Bible because it's old language. It's, it's poetry that we're learning about. So guys, today, after lunch, when you're riding home, just turn over to your lady. Go, baby, you're a beautiful vine. <laughs> and just see how it goes. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go, right? I'm just saying that like, it's a great line because it's the Bible, right? And then kids... You're like olive shoots, right? Right around the table. So, listen, primarily what it's doing is at the temple, the men would come forward to receive the blessing. And then, listen, don't, don't miss this. Because we're understanding ancient society, the men would come forward and they would receive the blessing. Then the men would take the blessing that they had received and carry it over to their family. It's interesting that, that the analogy for relationships but primarily for a husband and a wife and children is organic in these verses 3 and 4. Do you see that? Olive shoots, beautiful vine. Now, when we think of that, we think of like something like this, like a nice, pretty, perfect garden, vine, this, that, and the other. But the, rea- the reality is, is because of the fall of creation and the brokenness of sin that if you don't tend to things, it looks like this. And, 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 and if there was just a picture, and I said, how are your relationships, you would say it looks like that. And listen, men, please, um, I'm with you today. I'm with you in this journey. And one time I took, we took some board members down to a church in Texas, and we were going to receive some training and it was a very intimate training, and there was um, the pastor that was there made a profound impact on my life, and, and there was a question and answer time. And so we had just started here at the church, and I was a pastor and then working and had young kids, and this pastor was a younger guy, and he had had kids, and the church had grown, and this, that, and the other. And other guys were asking like these deeply profound theological questions. you know, Like, man, how do you do God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, and all that? And I just, I just raised my hand, and then all the guys at our table were like, Oh, no. Oh, no, right? And I just said, I just said hey, pastor, um, you know, I'm a young guy. I got a family and I'm trying to pastor and do this thing. And I know that you've done the same thing. Do you, do you have any advice for a, for a young man and a young pastor trying to balance all of this? And this dude looked at me in a room full of 200 people with the eyes of a prophet. I mean, it's almost like he glared at me, looked at me and said, God made men to go to bed tired at night. Go to bed tired. Next question. I was like, (laughs) it was like meeting your favorite sports hero, right? And just like, (laughs) and that's true. What concerns me is all of these men who have so much energy and so much free time. Because the saying is true that idle hands are a devil's playground. And when it comes to the garden that God has blessed us with and the vines and these children, listen, men, God has designed us in such a way that we should fear God before anything else. That show me a man who fears God and I will show you a man who walks in the ways of God. And a man who walks in the ways of God, I will show you a man not with the perfect household, not a man who's living just all within the lines, but I will show you a man either by 40, 50, 60, 70, or at his funeral, where the evidence of the fruit of following God's ways abide. Men be encouraged by this. Men, husbands, fathers, families. Our families and our homes are too important. They are eternally important. And so I pray that you are encouraged. I pray that you are challenged to find the favor of God and a great fear of God. To experience the wisdom of God in your home, which flows from the word of God in your heart. To cherish the treasure that is your wife and nurture the gift of your children that we have been given. And to make our lives count by demonstrating the presence of God, advancing the kingdom of God, multiplying to the glory of God in a way that generations from now, should the Lord tarry and not come back, people will be singing the praises of God as a result of the way we have led our families. May it be so. This picture in Psalm 128 is a picture of gospel-centered manhood. Not boys who can shave, but men who accept responsibility, reject passivity, and lead with the hope of God's greater reward. But then notice how the text shifts. It talks about a home, but now look at verse 5. Are you looking at your Bible? Verse 5. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Now, do you see it in the text? It starts with one individual who has a healthy fear of God. That individual is following in the ways of God. Then that individual steps out and leads courageously in the home. Then the city is blessed. There's a profound insight in this text. And I could give a rip If it's democratic, republic, legislation, who's in the White House, this, that, or the other. I am weary to my core of Christians who think that the end times are happening because this policy didn't get passed or this, that, and the other. I've read the Bible many times and the good old US of A, which I love, is nowhere in it. So listen to me. The greatest thing that our nation needs, the greatest thing that Popper Bluff needs, the greatest thing that Westside needs is homes that fear God. That's it. Everything else flows from that. So listen, it's not so much about the sin out there, but what this psalm does is it makes me evaluate the sin in here. There's so much that I can't control. There's so much that I don't have a hand in, but when I see the progression of this, listen, life is simply better when we live in the blessings of God's boundaries. And I pray that you know that they're not just burdensome. There are times where they feel that, where we don't want to do that. But when it comes to marriage, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to all of these things, listen, I know this is just like I am on an island, deserted. But when I look at this, this is what I see. That all the story of Israel is God constantly saying, this is good. This is good. This is good. And then them veering off the path. And then when I look at the New Testament, I see myself. So as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, we've had some questions for the road. And here's some questions that I want us to evaluate today. The first question is this. Do you have a correct view of God? Or maybe even this. What is your view of God? And some of you today was, you know, ah, man, that was a note. That was a chord. Because when it comes to the abusive or the permissive, what I have done is I have taken my life circumstances and I have projected them on God. So I view God through my experiences of life and constantly through the scriptures. It says that we should view our experiences of life through the lens of God. It's a game changer. It starts with that. Not the temptation, not the struggles, not all of that. Please, it starts With how you view God. Then the second question is this What relationships do you need to tend to? What if today in church, what if today in church a husband grabbed his wife's hand and prayed? What if today in church, a church member walked across and grabbed another church member's hand where there's been bitterness and there's been strife in the relationship and there was repentance? (laughs) What if we lived God's way? And then the last question is this. Where are you outside the boundaries of God's blessings? Listen, the consequences of that It's not God standing around zapping us. The consequences of that are our responsibility. God has designed it to be such a way that when we step out of those things, that when God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. That's what God means. So the consequences that you have felt as a result of being out of those boundaries are not inflicted because God is angry at you. Those are warning signs and double red flags that says, don't, don't go there for the love. And listen, I'm so thankful. That lifeguard might not have jumped in and got me, but I'm so thankful that Jesus always does. Oh, I'm so thankful that His grace chases me when I'm outside the boundaries. I'm so thankful that His grace pursues me always. Because you see, these blessings, they're found in Christ. And that's a big boundary. And in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul describes almost an infinite amount of blessings that we have because of Jesus. Westside, listen to these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace which which he has Blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which we is which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purposes, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him in heaven and on earth. In him In Jesus we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of His glory. And in Him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him, You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we require possession of it. To this, we praise Him for His glory. Oh, life is so much better when we live in the boundaries of God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we come before you today overwhelmed and in awe of your majesty. God, we come in today and maybe we had a small view of you. Maybe we had that hurt view of you. And anytime we even heard the words, our father, it was painful. And God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would rewire our brains and our heart by your word, that we would have a healthy view of you. And then because of that, we're able to step out. It's not so much about what we're doing, God, but who we're doing it for. And God, I don't know what needs to happen when people come forward today to receive the blessing that is at the table. But I pray today that things change. Oh God, I pray, I pray that the houses and the families of Westside would be Psalm 128 homes. That's what'll change the world. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and partake in the table today as you feel led?